This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women and addiction. Welcome back to the Worth Recovery Podcast. My name is Amy. I am your host here. I'm a sex addict and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And today I am bringing you the second part or part two of our Dimensions of Courtship or the Courtship Inventory uh, from Dr. Patrick Carnes. We started talking about this in our last episode. Um, in there's a workbook called Facing the Shadow by Dr. Patrick Carnes and um, because it's February when I'm recording this and around the Valentine's Day holiday, uh, I get a lot of questions about dating and is dating happening for me or is dating, how do we date in sobriety? How do we date in recovery? But not only that, how do we keep our relationships, our intimate or, or a romantic partnership relationships healthy? How do we do that in recovery? How do we get there if we haven't been there in the past? And so based on those questions, I started sharing with you the courtship inventory or the dimensions of courtship as Dr. Patrick Carnes talks about them. Um, There are 12, 12 of these dimensions of courtship that he outlines in this workbook, Facing the Shadow. And like I said before, I mean, it's just a small part of this workbook, maybe six or seven pages but so important in the aspect of addiction recovery, particularly when that addiction has to do with relationships, though I feel like practically all all addictions have to do with relationships in some way, even if that's just our relationships with our parents or our relationship with ourself. Addictive behavior is about relationships, which is why Dr. Carnes calls the relationship process when it's got when it's gotten broken calls addiction the courtship gone awry and that's how he refers to addiction that courtship has gone awry I'm going to read this paragraph again because I think it's really important to set the stage here as we finish up the dimensions of courtship so the quote Dr. Carnes here implicit in most compulsive sexual patterns is a distortion of normal courtship For example, it is very normal even for children to play, quote, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. It is normal to be curious about your partner's body and pleasurable to have your body examined. As you grow up, you learn how to handle that part of getting to know someone appropriately. Exhibitionists and voyeurs, however, have become stuck in this one part of courtship. They have become so focused on this phase that it becomes more pleasurable than the rest of the courtship process. In other words, courtship has gone awry. And he gives some examples and kind of goes through it a little bit deeper. And so just as a, as a, to set the stage here, courtship can go awry in many, many different ways. We can get stuck in one particular part of the courtship process. We can even have one that we feel we're not good at and we just never make it past that part of courtship. So there's lots of different ways that this courtship inventory or this process can go awry for us. 
In our last episode, we talked about the first six dimensions. So those were noticing, attraction, flirtation, demonstration, romance, and individuation. Those were our first six. Today, I want to cover the second six or the last six dimensions. So we have intimacy, touching, foreplay, intercourse, commitment, and renewal. So we're going to start with intimacy. We're going to start with the definition here in the book. Intimacy. As the exhilaration of early passion subsides, partners enter the attachment phase where the relationship deepens in its meaning and integrity. This requires profound vulnerability that is ongoing and more difficult than the exhilaration of discovery during early romance. This is the being fully known and staying anyway part of relationships. I love that idea that this is this is past that exhilaration, right? Past that just like kind of magnetic attraction that sometimes we feel at the beginning of a relationship. This is deeper. And it involves just not just physical intimacy, which we get into in the next few, touching, foreplay, and intercourse. But this is the deepening of the relationship. And I love this last sentence. This is the being fully known phase and staying anyway. Being fully known and staying anyway. That is a piece of intimacy that we sometimes gloss over. But in order to be intimate with our partners, we have to be fully known. There are lots of different types of intimacy. Uh, We can be spiritually intimate with someone, intellectually, emotionally, physically intimate. But when we're talking about courtship, it's the ability to be intimate on several different areas and different parts of our life and being fully known and being able to handle that and tolerate being fully known and staying anyway. It also implies this idea that I fully know my partner and I love them and accept them the way that they are. I'm not trying to change them. I'm not ignoring certain red flags or certain pieces of them, but that I know who they are and I'm choosing to stay in that relationship anyway. It's a difficult, it can be a difficult piece. Uh, Some questions to consider. He he gives us a little bit more here. Um, Intimacy is the ability to sustain connection and vulnerability while being accountable and worthy of trust. And I think those are big pieces, being accountable and worthy of trust. So again, the ability to sustain connection and vulnerability. So I don't come in and out of intimacy, but I can sustain that while being accountable and worthy of trust. So some questions to think about in this area. Can you sustain a long-term relationship that matters? Have you been able to do that in your courtships? Can you be totally truthful about the worst aspects of yourself to your partner? So can you, again, that whole like fully known, I'm fully known. Do you get bored with your primary relationship? Are you able to talk about how meaningful it is to be with your partner? These are some some questions or things to consider about your ability to sustain and tolerate intimacy. I think one of the important things I want to also touch on this as we talk about intimacy is the difference between intensity and intimacy. And I'm we're going to go deeper into that idea because it's from a book, again, by Patrick Carnes, The Betrayal Bond, where he talks about a lot of times as addicts, we mistake intensity for intimacy. Intimacy is every day. 
intensity is not, right? Sometimes um, when we get really dramatic or we have dramatic fights or exits or passionate reconciliations, after that we talk about intensity, but not necessarily intimacy because intimacy is the ability to sustain connection and vulnerability while being accountable and worthy of trust. So some things to think about that. As I look at this again, because I did this years ago when I first started recovery. So this would have been sometime in 2011 uh, when I started and did this workbook. Uh, I have here written, wow, no, I cannot do this. I shut down emotionally and I do not trust anyone with my emotions. I mean, I'm grateful that that's not where I'm at anymore, but that's where I was when I started. I didn't trust anyone with my emotions. I would shut down really quickly. Kind of goes back to the story I told last time about how the the man that I was dating uh, told me that, you know, he thought I was prettier than his current girlfriend. He thought I was smarter. He thought I tended to his kids better, but he could never read me emotionally. And while... I did think I was being more transparent emotionally than I had been in previous relationships. It definitely wasn't enough to foster intimacy. And that's what he was talking about. So intimacy, number seven, right? I love that intimacy also comes after individuation. That's the one we kind of ended on last time. This individuation, this ability to hold on to yourself in a romantic relationship and show up and be authentic and be yourself. Because intimacy requires that of me. Intimacy requires that I am fully known in my relationship and I choose to stay anyway. It requires that I fully know my partner and I choose to stay anyway. So if I can't have individuation, there's no way I can have intimacy. Now, after intimacy, we have touching. So again, from the workbook, touching is defined this way. Physical touch requires trust, care, and judgment. Touching affirms the other but is respectful of timing, situation, and boundaries. Touching without permission or sexualizing touch betrays trust. While touch can be seductive and misleading, it can also be extraordinarily healing. In adults who were not touched or who were otherwise neglected as children, touch deprivation can be extreme. People deprived of touch will go against their judgment and their needs simply to be touched. I think there's a lot that he covers there. Um, touching requires trust, care, and judgment. And judgment, I, I kind of uh, define that judgment piece here as discernment. Knowing when to do it, when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate, and being sensitive to the other person and, and what's going on there. Touching affirms the other, but is respectful, like he says, of timing, situation, and boundaries. Touching without permission or sexualizing touch betrays trust. Touch needs to exist in a relationship outside of sex. It doesn't, it needs to exist and be outside of even leading to sex, right? Outside of foreplay, right? Foreplay is the next stage of courtship. It's not touching slash foreplay. Touching is its own, own dimension of courtship. Foreplay is its own dimension of courtship. And so I think it's important that we recognize that touching needs to be outside of sexualization. Where that needs to exist in our relationship in order to be healthy. 
Now, if you are an adult who was not touched as a child, you might have touch deprivation or feel deprived from touch. And a lot of times people in those scenarios will go against their own morals, their own values, their own code, just simply to be touched. That's how important touch is in our relationships. I know there was a period of time for me after, you know, early in recovery, maybe, but especially right when I moved to Utah, I could go days, weeks, months without being touched. Um, at that time I wasn't, you know, dating anyone. Um, my job didn't lend to touching. We weren't, I wasn't hugging people. I, you know, nothing. Right. And I could go a long time without physical touch. And sometimes it would wear on me and you'd have, I'd have to think about that. And, and then sometimes some people would come to hug me or something like that and it would feel foreign and I would, I would tense up and it took some time for me to understand for myself, my own touching needs, my own touching boundaries, um, how to feel comfortable being touched in a non-sexual way. I did a lot of sexual touch in my acting out. Touch was always sexualized. And so to have to learn that kind of newer way of touching that didn't include sexualization. Again, he gives us a little bit further information and some questions to consider. He says, conscious touching and contact with the other is important. Touching affirms the other and the relationship while still being respectful. So here we have some questions. Are you able to use touch to connect with a partner? Again, we're not talking sexualization. We're not talking foreplay. Can you just touch in order to connect with somebody? Have you been conscious of your touching? So are you conscious of when you touch someone and is it's appropriate or not? Do you use touch seductively and or inappropriately? Do you consider yourself touch deprived? Do you observe appropriate boundaries with touch? Do you touch without permission? Do you touch people sexually without their knowledge? So some questions to consider is you also consider your own addictive behaviors there, right? Um, Especially if you're touching people sexually without their knowledge or understanding. There's a lot of things to consider here. Um, How we touch, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, um, and how we touch without the sexualization aspect of it. Sometimes when our touching has mostly involved sexualization. We have a hard time just basic touching, basic holding hands, um, basic sitting next to someone and having our arms touch, right? When is it appropriate to hug other people? When is it appropriate to just place your hand on an arm or a shoulder as a way to affirm someone of your connection or support or love? Can you do those things? Can you accept those things? Those are great questions as you think about the touching aspect of courtship. And again, not just with our partners, but I'd I'd encourage you to think bigger on that with lots of different types of relationships that you have in your life. How are you at touching? Okay, our next dimension. After touching, our next dimension is foreplay. So Dr. Carnes defines it this way. Sometimes referred to as the most important part of sexual contact, it is the expression of sexual passion without genital intercourse. So again, the foreplay is the expression of sexual passion without genital intercourse. 
This includes holding, fondling, kissing, and sexual play that build tension and are erotic and pleasurable. As a stage, it includes the verbal expression of passion and meaning. In repeated surveys, most people say it is the best part of sex. It is often skipped over in our culture because of time pressures and stress. So foreplay is that expression of passion without the genital intercourse part, right? How are you at that? Can you take the time that you need? Do you feel pressured and hurried? Do you hate that and that you just want to get get to the sex, right? It's important. This is a whole stage unto itself. I think that's a lesson that we have to kind of look at. This is a whole stage unto itself. It's not foreplay slash intercourse, right? And again, it's not touching slash foreplay. These aren't all the same thing. Touching, foreplay, intercourse. Three separate pieces. So just like we talked about touching, you've got to figure out for yourself where you're at with these and they have some questions. We do that with foreplay as well. So again, again, this is the sexual passion without the use of genitals. It includes verbal and emotional as well as physical initiatives. So here's some questions. Is your foreplay very ritualized? Meaning, do you do the same thing every time? Do you have this ritual that has to happen? over and over again in order to arouse yourself or in order to work through foreplay. Now, I'm not saying that you don't want to repeat things that are pleasurable, but is it too rigid? Is it too too ritualized? Another question, does it degrade or humiliate either you or your partner? I hope that you realize that if it does that, that's a problem, right? If it's degrading or humiliating to either you or your partner, then we've got some problems with foreplay. Because if that's the way that you get aroused, if the way that you get aroused is by degrading another person, then we've got some issues we need to work through. Next, does your foreplay put anyone at risk physically? So if you're putting people at risk, that's another problem we need to work through. And do you and are you able to take sufficient time in this area? So just... Just some questions there for yourself to think about. I find that people struggle with foreplay. In my work as both a therapist and a coach, foreplay is an area where people struggle. And it's either one extreme or the other. Either they can't receive foreplay. They don't know how to receive pleasure. They don't know how to allow themselves to be pleasured. Or it's the other way where they're obsessed with pleasuring their partner And they spend all of their time doing that, right? Which is kind of the same type of thing, but shows up in different ways. So I'd encourage you to really think about where you're at with foreplay. (laughs) Again, because I'm sharing with you where I was when I started. I didn't even circle a number at the beginning. In fact, I wrote, I don't even know how to rate this area. It feels foreign. I kind of didn't know this area existed. I would go from touching to intercourse. That was it. So it's not weird or uncommon to have different problems with these different areas, right? I realized I didn't read to you what I wrote for touching, but for me, touch was all sexualized um, when I first started recovery. And so these things were kind of all blended, which is why I'm encouraging you to really think about them as different stages. So foreplay, right? So we have intimacy, touching, 
and foreplay. Notice that the intimacy become comes before any type of physical sex or intercourse, right? We have to know and be able to trust our partner to have good foreplay, to have good intercourse, to know and understand each other's boundaries there. Okay, so intimacy, touching, foreplay, and now we get to intercourse, right? I, again, just want to remind you, right? We, I, I'm a sex addict, so I'm very familiar with this. There are 12 of these dimensions of courtship. Only two of them involve sexual arousal. 12 dimensions, only two of them involve sexual arousal. As addicts, we sometimes get caught up that everything about relationships and courtships is about sex. And this is a good reminder that it's only two out of the 12 that are about intercourse or sexual arousal. Okay, uh, definition of intercourse from Dr. Carnes in the workbook. More than the exchange of body fluids, this is the ability to surrender oneself to passion, to let go and trust yourself and your partner to be vulnerable. While extremely pleasurable, intercourse is also an indicator of how you are able to give up control. To give oneself over to passion requires a true abandonment of how things are supposed to turn out. Many people limit themselves or fail an orgasm simply because of problems with trust and control. Have you ever thought about intercourse that way? It's more than just, you know, building connection. We talk about it that way a lot. It's more than just exchanging bodily fluids. It's more than just pleasing your partner. It's about trust and control. It's about the ability to give oneself over to passion and kind of that true abandonment of, I can't control how this is going to turn out and be able to let them happen. Let that happen. And it might be, it might not turn out well, right? You might end up laughing <laughs> and not, you know, having an orgasm, right? I This last sentence, many people limit themselves or fail to orgasm simply because of problems with trust and control. So let's talk about these questions that he has to help you evaluate where you're at with your intercourse. Does orgasm occur easily for you with someone you care for? question for you to think about, right? Can you easily orgasm with someone that you care about? Do you find intercourse easier with people whom you do not know or in whom you have no investment? Is that when you can orgasm? Is when you're with people you don't know um, or when people you have no investment in? Interesting concepts there to think about. Do you have to have control in some way over the person you are with in order to have an orgasm? So, is, is your orgasm or your ability to feel pleasure tied to control with someone else? Does intercourse work best with new or unknown persons? Again, talk about trust and control there. If it's new or unknown people, if you're having anonymous sex and that's the best orgasms that you have, what does that tell you about your trust? That's the end of the questions, but I, I would also ask, you know, things like, are you able to have sustained sexual relationships with the partner or the relationship that you're in? Is that, are you still able to find and discover each other in ways that are pleasurable, that allow you both to abandon control and also build connection? I would also ask is if, me, if your orgasms are tied to certain types of sex, 
uh, certain types of intercourse and you're only able to orgasm under certain conditions. If that is the case or any of those ring true for you, I would suggest you get into some type of therapy. Uh, CSATs, Certified Sex Addiction Therapists, um, are trained in the, in the ability to talk through those things, talk about what they are, how they influence you, how they influence your relationship, all of those types of things. But we want to be able to have intercourse and sexual relationships with our partners in ways that are pleasurable, in ways that express trust and confidence in the other person, in ways that allow us to feel pleasure and have that surrendering process, right? When we talk about 12 steps, we talk about surrendering. And this is another one of those ways where we can surrender in a way that is helpful for both us, our partner, and building that relationship. So intercourse. Okay, that's number, I guess number 10 overall. Um, today we've talked about intimacy, touching, foreplay, and intercourse, and we're going to finish out this with commitment and renewal. So let's start with about with commitment. Commitment is the ability to bond or attach to another. Some describe addiction as the failure to bond or the lack of capacity to form a deep, meaningful relationship. If someone matters enough, you honor the relationship by your fidelity to it. I have that highlighted in my book. If someone matters enough, you honor the relationship by your fidelity to it. Many addicts refer to the black hole they are searching to fill. This is it, being bonded in meaningful relationships, including non-sexual ones. If you grew up in a family in which you learned not to count on others, you look for what you can count on. Alcohol, sex, drugs, and high risk always do what they promise. But this pathological relationship with a mood-altering behavior does not fill that void. So the way I kind of describe that, a lot of addicts will talk about that hole in their soul or the black hole that they're trying to fill inside. And they've learned over time in relationships, particularly younger in relationships, that people are not there to fill that hole. They learn that there are other things that can fill that hole because they don't learn to bond or trust with people or trust people because of their experience in relationships. That was me coming into recovery. I used to say relationships are a liability. <laughs> they don't they don't fill in that hole for me. They're not an asset on my balance sheet. They're a liability on my balance sheet and they don't help or support me. And so it was easy for me to bond with other things that were reliable. Um, alcohol, sex, drugs, right? That's what he lists as things that we can rely on because they always do what they promise to do. Alcohol will always get you drunk. Sex will always make you feel better in the moment, right? Drugs, high-risk behaviors, things like that that will always give us that same chemical high, will always give us what we want. But they're not bonding to people. They're not commitment, right? They aren't actual relationships and they don't fill in that hole that we have in our soul the way that it should be filled. And so that's why he says this pathological relationship with a mood altering behavior does not fill that void. It's commitment. It's commitment to a relationship that fills in that void. So how do you do with commitment? Do you keep your commitments? Just basically, 
right? Do you have difficulty forming close relationships that endure long term? Do you consistently take steps to honor and nurture your primary relationships? Are you in a deeply satisfying primary relationship? If not, what responsibility do you have in it not being satisfying? I really think that there's a couple things to think about in this type of, in this category particularly. I work with a lot of people who have had um, some infidelity. There was an affair in their relationship in some way. I was, and I've, in my story, I was involved with a man who was married. um, And so was part of, of that affair as well bad affair behavior in my work as in therapy and my work as a therapist. Uh, it's often occurred to me how immature affair behavior is, right? If, if we don't like our partner or we're struggling with the commitment that we've made, then we get out of that commitment. Affair behavior is a very immature behavior. A functional adult says, I've made this commitment and I'm going to honor and I'm going to be, I'm going to have some fidelity in this relationship. And if it's not working, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to talk to my partner about it. I'm going to do those things to improve the commitment improve the relationship. And if that doesn't work, then I get out of the relationship. I don't just go have an affair, right? That's, that's an immature, like I want what I want. I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to do it behind your back and I'm going to sneak and I'm going to do these things. That's, that's immature behavior. That's not an a mature adult or a functional adult behavior. If you want out of your relationship, get out of your relationship. If you want to work on your relationship, work on your relationship, right? But don't have an affair. An affair is that immature behavior of, and it's very dishonoring of yourself and of the other person. When we are in a commitment, I think this starts, actually, let me, before I finish that sentence about when we're in a commitment, but I think this starts with basic commitments to ourselves. If we can't honor the commitments we've made to ourselves, we're not going to be able to honor the commitment we've made to other people. And so if we can't honor those commitments, if if we can't figure out how to be true in the way that we're handling our relationship with ourselves. It's very unlikely that we're going to be able to do that with other people. Even though we have things like people-pleasing behavior where we say we honor other people before we honor ourselves, I would say that there's still some issues in that and that's not quite exactly how it works. We can investigate that in another episode if we need to. But commitment is this idea that I can rely on other people and I have other people in my life. I commit to them, they commit to me, and we work together. So think about that as your dimensions of courtship. Okay, the last one, number 12, right? I feel like we need a drum roll or something. Number 12 in our courtship inventory is renewal. So renewal is defined as this. The capacity must exist to sustain all the above dimensions in an existing relationship. To be married does not mean you stop flirting or expressing passion. There is a difference between being attached to someone out of habit and being devoted because of the meaning that has evolved in your journey together. I love that sentence. I'm going to read it again. There is a difference between being attached to someone out of habit and being devoted because of the meaning that has evolved in your journey together. 
Successful couples continue courtship. They continue to show the other that they are a worthy partner, right? That was that demonstration that we talked about. They continue to make efforts to attract their mate, romance, individuation. They continue to express the value that they have for each other. That's intimacy and touching. If a relationship is not working, partners take responsibility to change it. If the relationship is not tenable, they leave. I, I kind of love this idea of renewal, right? That a relationship has to bring me the ability and the capacity to continue to sustain that relationship. And it requires that I can sustain all of these 10 dimensions of courtship. Um, I notice in my existing partnership, right? I, I notice things about them. Um, they notice things about me, right? I know when I should comment on that or bring that to someone's attention. And, and I can be discerning about that, right? I'm attracted to them. I continue to grow in my attraction. They grow in their attraction to me. I continue to flirt. I continue to demonstrate that I'm a good partner and pay attention to their demonstrations. There's romance. There's individuation. I bring all my hopes and dreams, all of me, all of the ugly sides, everything to that relationship. I have intimacy. I feel fully known and I choose to stay anyway. We support each other through physical touch. We support each other through foreplay and intercourse. I'm able to surrender and have that sexual relationship with them. I'm committed and I stay true and have some fidelity in that relationship. And when I can do all those things, this renewal shows up in my relationship where we have made meaning out of the journey that we're having together in life. We're not just committed to each other or stay in a relationship because of habit. Have you done that? Have you stayed in a relationship because it's easier or out of habit? No, that's not why I stay. Renewal says I stay in a relationship because we have found meaning in the journey that we're creating together. That's why I stay. Some of the questions to think about. Uh, do you take sufficient responsibility to make your relationship work? So are you seeing your part and are you taking responsibility for that? Do you continue to court and attract your partner, right? Are you evaluating where am I at in these dimensions of courtship? Am I doing what I need to be doing? Are you able to consistently express how meaningful your relationship and journey is, right? Are you talking to your partner about the meaning that you're making out of your journey? Do you have things that you do together, adventures, things that allow you to continue to have that relationship? Are you in a primary relationship now that deepens as each year passes? It's the final question there. Now, when I rated myself way back when, it was a one. No, I had never really gotten that far at that time in that relationship, in any of my relationships. And the one that I thought I was this far in turned out to be the affair. So, no, I wasn't doing really good. <laughs> Things are different for me now, but I wasn't doing really good when I first started. Renewal is something in a relationship that really good couples have. Now, when I went through these dimensions of courtship for the first time and was learning and talking about them and figuring out what they were, I remember my therapist telling me to look around. Start looking at relationships around you through this dimensional lens. Do you have couples that you see that are really good at noticing 
or really good at keeping each other together? Do you have couples that you feel like have gone through all 12 stages and are good at them? But it was really a different experience to start looking at couples and relationships through these dimensions of courtship. Now, when I returned and said, no, I don't see this. I don't see this in anybody. Like, I don't really see these these dimensions of courtship in any relationships that I know. Definitely wasn't my parents, neither set of grandparents. I didn't really feel like I had aunts or uncles that demonstrated that. I didn't feel like at that time I had friends, marriages that kind of demonstrated that. Um, I didn't really feel like I had examples. However, as I got to know different people, as I got to look, as I started to look for dimensions of courtship, and I started to look for couples that had solid um, relationships like this, I was able to find solid examples, really solid examples. I've got three or four friendships where their marriage and their relationship is definitely fits these dimensions of courtship and is a renewal type relationship. And I've been watching that now for five, six years, even longer. And the relationship continues to deepen and continues to grow. I feel fortunate to be able to have some examples of what that does look like. If you don't have examples, I'd encourage you to start looking for examples. I'd also encourage you to start looking even in media. I really feel like my first example of that, I've talked about this several times, but we'll do it again, is the uh, TV show Bones. I think the relationship between uh, Brennan and Booth is one like this. Took some time to develop, goes through phases, but there is a continual renewal and commitment in that relationship. But I know it's media and I know it's scripted, right? So it's not really real in all ways, but it's nice to have an example, at least to start with. So my friends, dimensions of courtship. Okay, this comes from the book Facing the Shadow, Dr. Patrick Carnes. If you're interested in learning about this, you can read more in his workbook Facing the Shadow. Um, And it's a great aspect or paradigm to look at your own relationships through. Okay, um, I hope that you had a great February. I was going to say Valentine's Day. And actually, I do hope you had a great Valentine's Day. Um, as you reflect on the relationships in your life, uh, the romantic ones and other ones too, but since it's February, right? Um, please remember that no matter what's going on for you though, whether you have a relationship or not, whether all your relationships have been addictive, that was definitely me getting into recovery. All my relationships have been addictive. And that was something I had to, I've had to kind of grieve and get through and get over and learn, I don't know if get over is the right word, but learn from, make meaning out of that. And I'm grateful that that's not how I am now. And I'm grateful to have relationships that aren't addictive. So no matter where you're at today, no matter what's going on, no matter if all your relationships have been addictive and you're looking for something new and maybe you've lost some hope in that, I want you to remember that you are worth recovery. A hundred percent worth it. I know that. And if you don't believe that for yourself, you can rely on me until you do. I definitely thought I was too old when I entered recovery to ever have a relationship that was non-addictive. And I'm glad to say that that's not true. Not true at all. So remember that. And I believe that for you too. And I have hope for you too, If you, even if you don't 
Okay, I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.